This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tinkata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA. Taking it to the streets is all about advancing firefighter safety and operational integrity for the fire service through provocative insights and dynamic discussions dedicated to both the art and science of firefighting and the traditions of the fire service. The focus at Taking It to the Street continues to be straightforward, street-level talk with intelligent, stimulating, and provocative insights and dynamic discussion with interactive dialogue and, most importantly, listener participation. Just like around the kitchen table or in the day room over a cup of coffee at 0230 after a good run. And now, the latest edition of Taking It to the Streets with your host, Christopher Nall. Welcome to this edition of Buildings on Fires, Taking It to the Streets. I'm your host, Chris Nam, on your street, in your town, around the corner, in your backyard. Again, as we always talk about, uh, Buildings on Fire and Taking the Streets is really all about uh, continuing the conversation, talking about our built environment, and more importantly, talking about the influence of our built environment on our first arriving how construction, tactics, and safety all cohesively come together. So we often talk about, you know, being on your street, in your city, across the country and around the world. And here we are again uh, talking about some things that are near and dear to us. Many of you, again, continue to follow uh, our programming. Uh, we've had the good fortune here through the efforts at fireengineering.com uh, to expand our offerings and the availability of this program, not only in terms of being a podcast, but all not also now to be able to be uh, simulcasting our program as a, a webcast uh, uh, presentation. So it's, it's, it's good to be in front of everyone. For those of you that are listening in, again, thank you very much. For those of you that are new to our program, welcome. And to our loyal listeners out there, again, uh, we, we certainly thank you for your loyal following. Uh, on, not only on our program, but certainly on all of the other uh, great programming that is available here on fireengineering.com and blog talk radio. So again, on our episode here on Buildings on Fire, Taking to the Streets, we're going to talk about something very succinct, and it, and it aligns with some things that some of the things that we've been currently been doing over the course of the last number of months, and have actually been doing for the last uh, 12 to 15 years now. Uh, uh, and again, it's, it's primarily just getting out into the streets and looking at our buildings, understanding the importance of how building reads, the size up component of buildings, and, and how we've got to really develop that skill set level when we talk about assessing, evaluating, sizing up, looking at things that are beyond the obvious upon our first arrival, all the way through the uh, continuum of passing that first arriving uh, actions and first arriving observations that influence what we end up doing on the fire ground and how command, once they assume command of that incident, if we're passing it over from a, a company standpoint um, or if we're retaining it. But obviously, when we have both initial company level size up, determination of actions at the tactical level, and what normally is the formal process of command establishment and the transfer of initial command to sustainable command, uh, there are some unique differences that occur at that particular standpoint. Uh, when we talk about some of the criticality of operations, especially on the first due, uh, predicting adverse fire behavior and the potential for structure collapse, 
um, or compromise is one of certainly one of the most challenging tasks facing first two companies and commanders at a fire scene. Usually the lack of information on the construction of the building, the fire size, fire location, uh, the fire burn time, the conditions of the building, the fuel load, um, all of these along with many other uh, variables make the task nearly impossible. However, key building uh, considerations and fire ground indicators when presented, when recognized, and when uh, understood and recognized for their relevancy and the importance of the operations can certainly dramatically change and influence fire ground decision making. We often talk about uh, how buildings truly influence uh, decision making on the fire ground, both the building and the fire conditions and certainly those aspects of our company. One of the consistent conversations we have in, in many of our programming, both in terms of our topical areas, as well as even some of the dialogue and discussions that come about in those standpoints, have always dealt with three common denominators. And those three common denominators include, are inclusive of the building, the compartment, and the company. Uh, understanding the aspects of the building, both those subtle as well as those uh, clearly defining uh, aspects of the building's characteristics um, are always the challenges in terms of identifying the obvious and then looking beyond the obvious to identify those subtleties that may very well have significant influence on fire ground decision making. The second element deals obviously with the fire conditions that are typically found within a compartment. Those compartment fire conditions very well may um, extend, affect the structure uh, turn into and evolve into a structural fire condition, and then ultimately how we as the responding resources, the company, end up engaging in operating uh, on the fire ground. Typically, when we talk about first due company operations that are part of our size up conversation here on this episode, uh, again, the first due company, it's the single or uh, the company is either the single or part of that tactical alarm box. It's the first opportunity to put eyes on the building and on the evolving incident. It helps define the priorities, establish and set the actions and the direction, establishes and or passes command during the onset of that incident. It also influences command decision making at so many different levels of that operation. There are critical time and performance influencers that come about uh, as a result of both the simplicity or the complexity of that building. Uh, all of which require tactical discipline and then also influence both the tactical agility and tactical mobility based upon the size, the footprint of the building, both the vertical and horizontal uh, uh, configuration of that particular structure. And again, whatever that occupancy usage as well as the, uh, the occupancy type and the occupancy risk. There are six uh, predominant uh, risks when we associate that with our operations and as we talk further about the size of component, and that deals with uh, building structural integrity, uh, component fire behavior, the availability and the sustainability of water as a significant resource that's going to influence how far we can uh, engage within that building, what is going to be the um, time elements that are going to influence our operation as far as our tactical windows. But a lot of what we initiate with uh, the availability of tank water or the availability of sustainable water regarding uh, hydrogen or, or other deliverable water sources. So there's certainly three different elements to that. But at the end of the day, it's all about sustainability in terms of water and the deliverability of that in terms of getting that water into the appropriate compartment areas to uh, initiate 
uh, actions regarding uh, fire sta stabilization and insulin stabilization based upon, again, resources and also based upon uh, the severity, the urgency and the growth, and then more importantly, the availability of time when we talk about tactical windows. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about tactical windows in our other episodes, in previous episodes that you can go back through and uh, go uh, and identify those in the archived uh, uh, the archived programs, uh, again, in fireengineering.com within the podcast programs. The other influencing and stressors that relate back to risk on the first do include um, compartment building structure fire conditions. So again, we talk about the compartment to the building to the structure fire uh, relationships. It's the compartment to the building to fire behavior. It is both the compartment and the building resiliency and integrity. It is understanding the predictability of the building's performance, which goes back into the POP uh, acronym that we've used and continue to talk about in terms of predictability. And again, predictability as it relates to size up is, is critical because we don't need necessarily have to continue to size up every single aspect of the building. We'll talk about the five and five here again to reinforce those out concepts. But again, it's understanding the anatomy of the building. It's understanding the human performance aspects in terms of our company. And it's actually the RIT component of all three. Uh, when we talk about RIT, it is not associated with saving our own, but it is associated when we talk about resiliency, integrity, and the time factors regarding the anatomy of the building, meaning the structural aspects of the structure, uh, how that building is built, the anatomy, the performance characteristics, and it's also the resiliency, integrity, and time of, of our company in terms of how that resource uh, engage, how it moves through the structure, what is the resiliency based upon the impact of the fire conditions, what is the integrity of that company to maintain uh, the integrity as a unit to move forward based upon the adverse conditions, and again, what is the time elapsement in terms of how do we operate on the fire ground. In other words, we can have a company that's highly effective that has a different elapsed time of uh, being able to conduct and carry out a particular mission and a particular task, or we may have a company that may have significant challenges that may require additional elapsed time. So resilience and integrity and time is a direct uh, correlation and a direct relationship back to how that company is comprised, what is the capability of that company, and how can they execute the mission over time. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. It's also understanding the building intel. What kind of... Uh information do we have for that building pre-incident, upon arrival, or during the conduct and course of operations. So it is pre-incident intelligence and information. It's also information gathering during the size-up process that we are looking to obtain and how do we uh, interpret that information and how do we apply that regarding our fire ground operations, all of which is going to be under the strenuous and influencing aspects of elapsed time. And that goes back to our conversations. We talk about uh, tactical windows. And again, tactical windows primarily are defined as that operational period upon arrival 
And normally, a best practices uh, uh, talk about that, or when we relate that back to the tactical windows, it's it's typically 10 minutes or so elapsed time. Sometimes that can expand for the 10 to 15 minute window. Many in the fire service continue to, to utilize a 20 minute tactical window, which unfortunately is still very antiquated. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But if you're using the 20 minute window or number one, if you're not using any window whatsoever, that certainly needs to be looked at. And I would highly suggest you to reach out, whether it be to ourselves or other colleagues within your system within your region to identify why is it that you're currently utilizing a 20 minute rule on today's fire ground uh 10 minute 10 minute elapsed time is best practice but again it's that 10 to 15 minute window in which we need to be monitoring conditions and being able to react to those conditions that are either obvious that are precursors to an initiating event um or again may be in the um in the uh, aspect of what may be occurring in the next sequence of time. In other words, we do a pretty good job of reacting to those conditions once uh, adverse conditions occur. In other words, a bad thing ends up occurring, we react to them pretty quickly. Uh, mayday, mayday, we've got a, we got a flash drive, we've got a backdraft, we re, or a collapse, we react to those uh, conditions in a prompt, with a prompt degree of promptness but it again, unfortunately, is in a reactionary manner. So again, uh, the challenge really on today's, uh, for today's incident commanders and operating companies on the modern fire ground is clearly recognize building performance factors and inherent construction characteristics that are fundamental to the manner in which the building's anatomy, uh, meaning the structural conditions of that building give us our building and the fire conditions that are present within the building. So when presented, uh, when they do present themselves at an evolving incident, it's our ability to ascertain and dis distinguish how that building will per uh, subsequently perform during fire duress, during the continuing uh, fire impingement, fire travel, fire exposure, the degradation of the building, how that building continues to be uh, impacted by heat, flame impingement, flame contact, uh, degradation, and so forth, how that is going to affect the building that, again, is being affected by physics, by fire dynamics during the elapse of time. So how can we identify those particular aspects? And again, are the risks clearly understood? Do we recognize the big picture of those particular elements? And unfortunately, um, we, we don't. Part of this whole conversation here today uh, revolves around, are we having uh, the conversations uh, um, at curbside, uh, post uh, post-incident? Are we having a quick uh, conversation of what the incident gave us in terms of challenges? How did we address those challenges, the severity of the urgency and growth? Did we meet the mission objectives uh, based upon the tactical operations, the severity urgency? Did we do a good job or did we have some challenges or are there areas of improvement? So curb uh, or street side conversations, both post-incident as well as pre-incident. Again, are you uh, coming back from an alarm, is there something that you as the company officer are seeing? Is it something that you that are riding uh, uh, backwards uh, um, in the cab are, are seeing? And are you saying, hey, cap, stop here. There's something, there's something we, 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 we have an opportunity to converse about. Or if that opportunity doesn't arise, do you go back to quarters and make a mental note? Do you converse back with the bosses and say, hey, look, it, we passed a particular thing here. Here's what I saw. Is there some value there that we can go back to at some point, some downtime on the shift or, or coming back from another alarm 
to uh, identify some, some conversations that lead to some insights, that lead to lessons, learnings, and hopefully maybe be able to provide some insights that'll help you on the next run, next job that you may have at that address or something that continues the conversation forward. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Are there kitchen table conversations that are occurring? And more importantly, are you taking advantage of getting out into the streets and doing walking tours? One of our signature programs that we've been very proud to bring forward into the uh, North America Fire Service uh, was the uh, the conceiving of this idea of taking the classroom out into the streets and making that an extension of what we start in the classroom and how really how important street level conversations, street level learnings and insights come about and really getting out into the streets, reading your buildings and gaining that level of insights. One of the first programs that we initiated uh, over 13 years ago uh, was the first reading the buildings uh, street walking tours that are now sort of uh, coming about to be somewhat common. There are certainly many others that uh, I think have recognized the value of taking companies out into the streets and sizing up and looking at buildings. So the concept of street size up is nothing new, but the concept of doing a formal type of programmatic classroom uh, educational opportunity that has structure, that has specific targeted insights is new to the fire service. And again, we had initiated these types of street learnings all the way back in the early 2000s and then actually formalized uh, this concept of reading the buildings, walking tours, walking lecture tours, a variety of different terminology. But we were the first to bring that forward into the fire service and were the first to bring that into a conference type setting and opportunity that uh, became a very signature program uh, at that particular venue and it continues to be part of our signature series so our walking street tours uh, many of you again are familiar with what chief uh, danny shirt and i have been doing in new york city we sort of have a signature walking tour that takes place in new york city uh, we try to schedule out at least one or two of these things on, a, on an annual basis. We started off with this uh, pre-COVID, COVID hit, and we had some setbacks. Uh, but again, we've sort of brought that forward uh, over the last uh, 18 months in, in particular. We did have a program earlier this year that consists of a formal walking tour beginning in uh, Midtown Manhattan and ending uh, in Lower Manhattan, and really having the opportunity to go down the formal street side, curbsides, the back way, the alleyways, and look at a variety of different buildings, both occupancy type, occupancy risk, different eras and vintage of buildings, and talk about specifics with our class and, uh, and look at it from the perspective of the command level, the company level, or the firefighter level. How do we develop skill set levels to assess and evaluate the building at all phases of the operation, but more importantly, how do I develop the skill set level as a first arriving company officer, as a first arriving command officer, of which there are distinctively different or expanded building reads that occur at the company and at the command level. 
So again, we we had the good fortune over the course of uh, this uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we did a program at Wichita Hot, which is conducted in Wichita, Kansas, by our good by our good friends at the Wichita Fire Department and the um, the uh, Fools of Oz uh, a group that again are, are very prominent in. Uh, uh, in that region of the United States and certainly within Wichita and the surrounding area of uh, the state of Kansas. We had the opportunity again to uh, work with uh, the fine individuals that were part of that program, but also the numerous uh, colleagues that came from throughout the Midwest, all the way from um, the uh, North and South Dakotas, from Nebraska, uh, from various other surrounding states. We had a number of individuals at that were part of our program and our street tour that came from the Texas area and so forth, as well as through through uh, throughout Wichita, the metropolitan area, and throughout the states. But and again, the whole premise of this is that by taking your companies in a formal or informal manner uh, out into the street settings and looking at your buildings to identify some of those key attributes are really defining in terms of developing uh, exceptional operational skill set capabilities, but also to be able to look at the thousand level view that we're all pretty familiar with and really get into that street level view at the curbside in the alleyways, uh, both within and external to the building to identify things that we may know, things that we assumed, things that we didn't know until we've gotten into that building. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced technology only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. And uh, even what was interestingly enough about our recent tour there in Wichita was the amount of insights that even seasoned company and commanding officers that were part of our of our class. So we spent an entire day. So we started off with a, a formal uh, pre-briefing in the classroom setting for about an hour and a half, 90 minutes. Uh, then we ventured out into our, our walking tour within the in the physical environment, that built environment of the uh, uh, of, uh, of Wichita, as an example, and as we commenced this walking tour, one of the things that we keyed in on that was part of our formal presentation was looking at both historical buildings, both new and old, looking at those historical contexts of buildings. We actually focused in on the development of the first taxpayer type structures within Wichita in the very early uh, 1920s, 1930s era, and then how that <coughs> we we took a look at the taxpayers within that area of uh, of Wichita that originated back in the 1920s to early 1930s that gave us the first taxpayer type of occupancies that became very common in that region as the 1930s, 40s, and 50s commenced. Um, with that being said, one of the other things that was very unique to that particular area was the vast amount of 
bowstring profile types of commercial buildings and the adaptive reuse of those particular structures. So again, in that 1930s, 40s, and 50s vintage, primarily beginning in the mid-1920s, the, the application of a bowstring type or bowstring profiled roof uh, became necessary based upon the types of occupancy usages in the development and growth of that particular area. But as we got into these particular buildings, what was very notable and noticeable, as I uh, referred back to this, is that when you're at street side and you take a look at a particular profile, or take a look at a, a particular type of a parapet or condition, a condition with type three construction as an example, um, we make assumptions. And we again, we make an assumption based upon what we are able to see from a particular vantage point, either up closer to the building or from a, of a, uh, from a slight distance away from the structure upon our arrival, upon our access to the building. So what was assumed typically to have been buildings uh, that would have been upon entry, um, buildings of heavier timber type of construction and bowstring applications, turns out there, that there's a much higher degree of buildings of steel component construction that give us a bow string type of a truss system along with a varied type of a roof membrane system. So both the roofing diaphragm, meaning the types of joist systems that are incorporated as part of the assembly. So we've got a bowstring configured uh, roof assembly of which the components of that roof assembly in the bowstring profile are all constructed of metal components, some of which were bolted, some were welded, and some in a different vintage in time or era in time were riveted uh, construction, all with a variety of different age and configurations. But it certainly wasn't what one was expecting to find uh, as we got into the building. So we had, good, we had a great opportunity to get into many structures, take a look at what we assumed the conditions to be from different vantage points, up and around uh, other adjacent structures. And as we got into the size of conversations, we identified features, again, around the perimeter walls, around the parapets, around features of drain or leader uh, conditions and so forth, the drain pipes and such. And prior to entering that structure, there was a um, consensus of opinion that this particular building was of a particular era and vintage of a particular type of construction in terms of its classification and thusly the type of roof construction one could presume to be present without actually getting onto the roof without uh, initiating any types of of curve cuts or observation holes or opening up other aspects of that building we made these assumptions and again based upon the consensus of our class and then upon entry uh, lo and behold, we either had validation that this was what they expected it to be, or we had a surprise that the building was something entirely different. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. And more often than, that, not, than not, the first assumption was heavier timbered um, components that were part of the assembly that gave us a type of uh, post-tensioned bowstring type 
of roof system when in fact we got in there and instead of heavier timbered construction we end up identifying um, various types of uh, components that were part of an assembly that gave us a steel framed type of structural system all of which have different uh, tactical windows they are affected differently by the uh, flame impingement conditions so and in many instances the occupancy of, the, of these particular buildings were um, were places of uh, commercial uh, assembly. In other words, we had high assembly occupancies in these retail, in these types of restaurants or other service-oriented uh, uh, assembly points where we've got a lot of population or we've got a lot of civilian load in terms of population load to the buildings. And that in itself, coupled with other factors of the building, uh, create a number of cascading challenges associated with that particular structure. So it was just interesting to look at that. One of the things I want to talk a little bit further about um, that as it relates to size up, and again, I just want to run through this rather quickly. When we talk about size up and assessment and building reads, um, we've got to be concerned when we talk about the building uh, related to, again, the fire location, thermal assault, the environmental aspects. So it's both the environmental conditions that are affecting the building. It's the thermal assault on the aspects of that building within the compartment within the building structure itself and the aspects of fire. We need to recognize that all buildings, uh, again, are going to follow the rules of physics. When we talk about mass, material, uh, and the actions associated with those conditions and the reactions. So physics has a very predominant role in all of this. We need to understand the laws of gravity. We also need to understand how this, the various aspects of our buildings are affected by both heat, a fire and environmental uh, impact conditions. What can become compromised? What can fall? What can collapse? What can fail? Um, how those conditions uh, may lead to finite conditions and how they really, really re react under the aspects of the predictability of building performance. The one thing that is true to all of these items is that there are various variables of building writ. And when we talk about that, again, it goes back to resiliency, integrity, and time. There are variables based upon the era and vintage. There are variables based upon the building's anatomy that are very predictable that, again, lead into other uh, considerations. So we need to develop that aspect of building literacy, fire literacy, understanding the building anatomy, understand how that relates back to building compartment and company, understand that there is an acronym. And again, unfortunately there is, and I'm not going to offer any apologies to that, but the acronym helps define and develop the skill set level. So when we talk about the building's predictability performance, when we talk about era and vintage, it's so, so important to understand and, and align that with what we um, developed this around again uh, over 18 years ago when we developed this concept of how important era and vintage is and again how that has really become somewhat uh, institutionalized because we do find many uh, other instructors colleagues uh, we find this this concept embedded in a variety of other uh, textbooks and other uh, various types of publications where the concept of what we introduced in terms of the importance of taking era and vintage, meaning how and when that building was built uh, as it relates back to architecture and engineering are so, so important as it aligns with 
first arriving construction tactics and safety. The era of the building and its relationship back to the methods and materials of construction, the manner in which it was being built, and how they relate back to operational considerations has everything to do with developing that level of understanding and developing that, that particular skill set. So we want to just reinforce a couple of those particular aspects to it. So again, we talk about the acronym of BEAR. It is the predictability of performance. It is the inherent and intrinsic conditions are that are part of that building. Things that, again, are adaptive, both new and old. They all definitely relate back to the types of construction and that relate back to the NFPA 220 standard, but also recognize for those of you that have been listening to our programs is that the NFPA 220 standard uh, in the early 1950s is what gave us our type one through five construction classifications. Recognize that in the early 1900s or as late as the late 1800s moving into the early 1900s that it wasn't until the national board of fire underwriters gave us our first model building code in 1900 and as it moved forward over the next 10 to 15 years by 1915 we had a recognized established and institutionalized national code that started defining building types and other characteristics within that particular building. But even then, the building type classifications were entirely different. We did not have what, as we are aware of now today, type one through five. We had different type one through three, one through four classifications, which does not align with anything that we have been using over the last uh, 73 plus years. So it's important to note, we'll leave that for another conversation and discussion, but it has everything to do back with that. And then lastly, uh, just to sort of close the loop on the conversation, when we talk about sizing up, uh, again, there's five and five. We talk about the aspects of five critical domains in sizing upper buildings and those include uh, part of our five-star command model and they are inclusive of uh, construction anatomy or construction systems and the era and vintage so when we take a look at we talk about a building of, of brick and joist construction or a building of, of type two uh, non-combustible construction or a mill or semi-mill built constructed building or building of type five wood frame construction there's different aspects of that building regarding era and vintage was it built in the late 1800s i had fully dimensioned lumber was it built in the in the early 1920s or 1930s and it was again fully dimensioned lumber of a balloon framing type of system used in residential construction or am i dealing with again let's say the 2000s dealing with a new version of engineered structural systems which is far different than lightweight construction that was introduced back as early as the the mid 1960s so it wasn't until the 1980s that the the modern era of construction the modern era of both the fire service and the modern era of construction can be uh, associated with but it was around the 1980s in which the lightweight construction that was being introduced in the early 1960s really became institutionalized, became very, very common. We started talking about gusset plates and we talked about galvanized metal uh, plate connectors. We talk, started talking about gable trusses, uh, individual components that were part of our truss systems, the introduction of the parallel core truss, the introduction of the wooden I-beams and how those have evolved from the early days of lightweight construction in the 80s and 90s to what we commonly refer to engineered structural systems here in the uh, 2000 era. And again, especially over the last uh, uh, 20 years, there have been very distinctive types of eras and vintage. 
the other thing that we want to be aware of when we're sizing up and evaluating our structures uh, relates back to five critical aspects of our building. So the five aspects that we started talking about here again, we talked about construction systems, the era and vintage, it's understanding occupancy type and occupancy risk, as well as occupancy usage and occupancy configurations and profiling. In other words, what's the square foot? What is the occupancy type? What is the occupancy use and risk? What's the occupancy status? What is the occupancy configuration? Is it horizontal? Is it vertical? Is it a low rise? Is it a, is it a high rise? Is it something longitudinal in terms of its profiling? Are there aspects of reading the fire ground associated with that building's usages as such? And then also when we talk about those considerations, what's the square footages, what are the cubic footages, how does that relate back back to considerations in the profiling. It is the, the third item of, of that consideration also includes the collapse and compromise characteristics of which there are some critical components to that. The fourth item is the methods and the materials of construction that has everything to do with era and vintage. And then the fifth component is the fire dynamics within that building. So that is the five fundamentals that are part of our uh, building construction domain, of which there are five subsets that one wants to be aware of when we're assessing that building. So of the five, of, of all the vastness of things that can affect the building, there are five critical considerations that one has to be focusing in on when we talk about our size up. And that includes, so when we talk about reading, reading the, the fire ground, we talk about reading the building, talk about reading the compartment, talk about reading the company. There are four distinctive reads that we've talked about in the past regarding our buildings, of which there are a series of cascading aspects of fire origin that are going to affect these other five pieces here that I'm going to make mention of. So let me just quickly give you a quick rundown. We talk about fires that are both internal or external. There are fires within the compartment, whether when we talk about room or room and contents. There are fires within the structure that affect both the system, they affect the assembly, there are conditions that are within the concealed spaces and the voids. So I'll give you our sort of our rundown and criteria of which they need to be considered and we seldom talk about these enough. So when we start talking about sizing them up, we talk about those considerations. Um, it is the fire origin, either that's known or predicted, um, or that's projected based upon, again, putting these parameters together. Uh, we have a fire that originates in the compartment that can go to the structure. We can have a fire that originates in the structure that can go to the compartment. We can have external to compartment. We can have external to structure. And these are all going to affect both strategic and tactical considerations. But it gets into this uh, concept even more so when we talk about fires within the structure and fires within the compartment. And this gets into what I consider to be more intermediate to advanced level uh, discussions and conversations that go beyond the cursory size up that we typically get programmed and conditioned to do, but not nearly discussed enough to take us to that next level of literacy that helps influence and fine tunes our decision-making skill sets that all have everything to do with the building and the compartment. So I'll just give you a, a quick uh, reiteration of, of some of those other factors here. Um, and again, we, we very well may talk about this in greater detail. I think you can look forward to having some, some additional uh, research uh, and uh, uh, reference information coming forward 
in the not too distant future that will expand upon this particular aspect. But again, we talk about fire in the structure, fire in the compartment. There is uh, compartment to structure. There is structure to compartment. So we can have a fire originating on the structure or within the structure that gets with into the compartment. So just always consider, again, if I have a completely open, exposed structure, it pretty much goes, the, the compartment is the structure. So compartment to structure, structure to compartment. It is compartment to compartment. It's compartment to external. So we have auto extension. Compartment fire goes to the external portion of the building. We have compartment to the external. Uh, think of this going from room and contents to external auto extension. It rides the face of the uh, and extends up the face of the structure, gets up into the uh, eave line, now goes back into the structure. So it, it's, it's compartment to external to structure. It, it's external to compartment. It's external to structure. It is external to uh, compartment to structure. And then lastly, it is compartment to compartment to structure. So each one of these categories, each one of these classifications has both strategic and tactical considerations. They also affect our reads on the fire ground regarding our size up, and they also affect the, uh, the aspects of the tactical window. So I just wanted to get that out there just for conversation. Again, if this, if this is the first you've heard of this, um, there are a lot of other things that we can talk about here today. But um, again, I want to focus in on the influencing factors that we just talked about here again, the aspects of bare building, air and vintage, uh, building anatomy, and uh, the aspects of risk. That's what that, that acronym relates back to. It is the predictability modeling, which relates back to construction systems, the, uh, the aspects of uh, occupancy and the considerations associated with those. It is the compromise and collapse considerations. It is the methods and materials of construction. And uh, again, that fifth element is the fire dynamics within the structures, of which the critical reads are associated with both the roof systems, the perimeter walls, the floor and or ceiling systems. Um, it is the considerations for the compartment, and it is the considerations for the absence, the presence, and the characteristics of void. So there are five critical, mission critical reads that one has to focus in on that may relate to the operations. Again, roof, perimeter walls, floors, and or ceilings, uh, the compartment or compartments, which may be multiple, and then the absence or presence and the locations of those voids. Again, do we have a void within the wall? Do we have a perimeter wall? Do we have a void within the floor systems? Do we have a void that is part of a roof system? What is the size? What is the the um, uh, extensiveness? Are there firewalls, fire separations? Are those separations or other uh, types of rated assemblies, are they compromised? What, and, and, and what is the extent of those locations, both in terms of volume and square footages? So they are very, very important. If this is the first you've heard of them, they are critical to much of our conversations on the predictability performance of our buildings and have everything to do with building reads. And again, um, when we take a look at these particular aspects, there are significant challenges. There are risk factors, there are benchmarking considerations, there's the first arriving 360 or 180. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time talking about that in, in the fire service, whether it be at the strategic or tactical level, but we also recognize that there may be very mission 
critical impediments. In other words, there may be challenges to be able to conduct a 360 when we're in the middle of the row of a particular structure and getting into the other end of that street and getting back to the alleyway may be challenging and there may be a considerable lapse of time. But again, do we uh, implement being able to access an adjacent exposure, go from front to rear, be able to take a look at what's in the rear of that structure uh, in that exposure building in the adjacent structure, either above or below the fire floor in order to again, or or get onto that roof, get over to the, uh, to the edge condition of that roof area, take a look at what's behind that or in the rear division of that building to be able to communicate critical uh, insights and observations. So it's not always that 360, it is that 180 or the 90 or just accessing from front to rear, rear to front, whatever the, the arrival position uh, puts you in, but just gaining access and observing what's occurring, whether it be from rooftop, whether it be from a vantage point of another window area at an adjacent exposure or uh, another floor area of what's occurring in the rear of the structure. Do I have auto extension? Do I have civilians uh, on fire escapes? Uh, are there uh, individuals that are maybe present? Do we have the integrity of, of perimeter uh, uh, enclosure or do I have a series of windows that are starting to let go or, or auto extension? Do I have fire conditions that have gone from compartment to exposure back into the structure? Again, much of what we just talked about here to, uh, in our conversation. So the other aspects here get back into critical thinking and again, just as a um, refresher, again, I'm not going to get into this in great detail here on this pro program, but uh, the foundations of, of cognitive skill set levels are so important to size up that whole mental action. We talk about thinking, knowing, remembering, judging, and problem solving. Again, these are, are the overreaching elements of critical thinking. Probably the most important is being able to remember or to be able to recall. And that recall comes back into what we talked about earlier, getting into the street, having curbside conversations, going out, walking down. Again, we used to talk about, you know, just doing pre-fire plans and doing walkthroughs of our buildings, but it's so much more than that when we talk about truly learning from the streets, learning within the buildings, learning from what we're what we have the advantage of seeing at curbside, what we may be able to be seeing from roofside as well as both inside and outside of that structure. Um, there are a number of, uh, when, we, so when we talk about critical thinking, we talk about uh, probably the, the most critical core sets of, of aspects when we talk about the size up. And again, looking at our building, building, compartment, company, looking at the building, looking at those five critical aspects of five uh, critical reads. So when we talk about the critical mission, critical foundation of size up um, in the big scheme of things regarding cognitive skill set levels, it is the ability to have this, these core skill sets that deal with uh, sustained attention, uh, response inhibition, the speed for information processing. So in other words, what is it that we're able to get both verbal as, as well as visual indicators, how well are we able, or, or other things that are being communicated that we're listening to, that we are being told to us, how well are we able to uh, process? What is the speed and the accuracy of that information processing? It is the ability to have both cognitive flexibility and control, uh, the ability to have multiple 
stimulations uh, that are simul simultaneously hitting us. Again, looking, seeing, hearing, smelling, uh, the, the yelling and screaming that's coming in one ear while we're listening to uh, the radio mic that with critical communications that are coming in from that standpoint while we're observing and trying to process these, these cues and indicators that are all in front of us and trying to differentiate, prioritize, and be able to react upon those things. More importantly, uh, be able to recognize some, some patterns, which leads us into, again, having working memory, having a ca um, category formation, being able to identify some things, put them into some categories, and then lastly, the aspect of pattern recognition. How do I put these things together? Recognizing the patterns of this information, and probably the, the, the biggest, when we bend these things together, in my opinion, I think the most critical aspects here of building reads goes back to working memory, goes back to um, category formation and pattern recognition. And pattern recognition has everything to do with category formation. When we talk about the five and five, what is it that I'm seeing? What is it that I'm trying to recall? Uh, what, I'm, what am I being able to, to start putting together? And the most critical part of this is being able to do this with a degree of speed. In other words, we can eventually get there when we try to put all of these patterns together. Um, it's no different than having, you know, a, a box of puzzle pieces in front of you. Little by little, you're starting to recognize and identify certain pattern, certain features, and you suddenly start putting that those first two pieces of that puzzle together. Little by little, over the course of time, depending upon how many pieces that you may have, um, that 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 pattern recognition becomes very apparent. We start seeing a picture that becomes uh, 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 coming about through these pieces coming together. And sometimes we have pieces that are missing, but eventually when that puzzle is all put together, the, the, the patterns have all been uh, uh, formed together. And we, we now have a, a clear read about of what that, that, that particular puzzle might be. So again, correlation is, is very similar to looking at the building. Sometimes we have a variety of missing pieces. And whether I have a 10-piece puzzle, which now trying to put those patterns together becomes becomes very uh, uh, much more at ease because we're able to, again, see, make these connections through our cognitive skill set level. But if we don't understand what that picture may be, again, even with five or 10 pieces, it may be difficult at best. That goes back into working memory, which is derived from where? Experience. Experience on the fire ground, experience in training, putting these things together. So... They all become part and parcel with what is constantly referred back to as far as recognition, prime decision-making, or naturalistic decision-making that are all part of this aspect. But ultimately, it's all about the pattern recognition, category formation that does what? It goes back to the five and five. How can I simplify the world? How can I simplify the complexities of our building? Well, again, it is the five pieces, building anatomy, occupancy, collapse and compromise characteristics, methods and materials that, again, relate back to era and vintage, and then fire dynamics. And then the other five of those, again, deals with roof systems, perimeter walls, floors and or ceilings, the compartment, absence of void. So I've got 10 pieces, right? 10 and 10. I've got 10 pieces that really form our puzzle that when we are looking at that building, put these things together from that standpoint. So they are, again, it's not a purely linear process. It does require a very rapid, ac uh, accurate, rational, decisive, action-oriented needs in terms of developing that skill set. 
And when, again, when we talk about the evolving built environment, design, construction practices, it has everything to do with our building. When we take a look at fire dynamics, it has everything to do with the compartment, its resiliency, integrity, and time. When we take a look at resources, capabilities, and our personnel, it has everything to do with the company. So now, we can, again, we start correlating back to building, compartment, and company. It's part of the adaptive uh, uh, adaptive fireground management model that we have. It is has everything to do with our first arriving construction tactics and safety. So ultimately, when we put all of this together and the things that all of us are striving to develop is how can I more accurately assess and evaluate my buildings upon the arrival, first due arrival. And whether it be at the company or the command level, again, that first arriving I'm going to look at construction characteristics. I'm going to look at um, I'm going to look at the uh, the tactical elements that are derived by construction, and I'm going to manage the incident from a risk standpoint based on safety. First arriving, construction tactics, and safety. Those are the facts of our operation. Quickly here, as uh, we start closing out our conversation, I want to give you some some insights here that are based upon our original research on where did size have come from. And we we did an entire program on this uh, last year in, our, in, our, in a previous episode, and it may have actually been upwards of two years ago. And I think uh, what our intent here was to talk a little bit about these aspects of size up in terms of their origination and utilize this as a stepping stone into next month's conversation of looking at some very, very specific aspects here that we talked about and introduced here about pattern recognition and, and maybe associated that with whether it be uh, the residential or one of the things that we are looking to do is talk a bit more about the commercial fire ground. We, we've had a couple of opportunities here over the last couple of months to do some face-to-face -face programs uh, specific to the commercial fire ground, commercial occupancies. And uh, one of the things uh, that I've been developing uh, from a program standpoint, production standpoint, is to bring in a couple of other very notable, very recognizable uh, fire service colleagues, uh, both instructors at FDIC, uh, very well known from their, uh, both in terms of their writings as well as their teachings. But um, a couple of other um, colleagues of, of ours, bring them in and, and have a very specific conversation on three aspects dealing with the commercial fire ground, dealing with, again, the size up and then ultimately the, the operations of our building. So building construction, actually three parts, building construction conversation, size up conversation on the commercial fire ground, and then operational considerations. And that is what we're planning ahead for our next uh, three episodes, at least uh, as we're envisioning them right now. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, some size of characteristics. And I, and again, just to go back to the origination. So when we talk about size up, where did it come from? How is it being implemented? And how are, have we sort of stalled out in our current standpoint here? So the first textbook for the fire service uh, that was published was the Fire Chiefs Handbook by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. And Fred Shepard was the author of that. And that originated and was first published in 1932. It first began uh, its compilation in the mid-1920s. It was recognized by the IAFC 
Educational Committee in the mid-1920s that there was a need to uh, start putting together some best practices and insights, which eventually became the Fire Chief's Handbook, which again, um, were the, the, the development occurred in 1928, first published, the first textbook for the fire service published in 1932. Within the confines of that uh, handbook um, were the aspects of saving life. So one often asks, where did we come up with interior firefighting as being best practice? Where did we come up with certain aspects of, uh, of life safety, property conservation? It was within the IAFC Fire Protection Handbook, first edition, 1932. And it talks about, again, the first duty of the fire department at fires was to save life. So the, the first whole aspect of, uh, of uh, life safety was derived out of that uh, book. However, within that book also was a, a quote, and I'm going to read this quote unquote, the uh, same appraisal of life holds in the case of members of the fire department. So although that textbook, although we have been talking about life safety being first and foremost in all of almost 100 years of time, um, they also talked and stressed about the importance and the value and the appraisal of life safety for firefighters. And that was very prominently presented in the uh, beginning of that, uh, of that book. And it also talked about uh, the delay of, of uh, hose lines because of the need to uh, prioritize life safety above all. So it's very interesting. It really gets into a number of different aspects of that. Talked about life safety, property hazard, and property conservation. It was all derived out of that 1932 edition. So it also talked about the initial action plan being uh, based upon the arrival of the first officer. And again, quote unquote, the first officer arrival rests the heaviest responsibility. So first arriving and within that book talked about the importance of types of construction, the development of fire, talked about each type of construction having its own characteristics and how they were important. It also derived the first conversation about size up in terms of building height, construction type, the uh, presence and location, the numbers of openings, fire location, occupancy, exposures, both interior and exterior, and guess what? They also talked about the importance of the environmental factors of wind. Again, 1932, over almost 100 years ago, we were talking about wind-driven considerations on today's fire about on the modern fire ground in that era. And here we are going 360, 360, 360 over and over again, and suddenly having uh, wind-driven conditions become part of our conversation here in the early 2000s and continuing to influence our conversations. It also talked about accessibility, resource needs, and they also talked about, and I'll say this quote-unquote, scientifically and carefully fought fires, extinguished quickly, confined to the smallest area, directly to the seat of, of the fire location by interior means when possible. That is the genesis of interior firefighting operations. And also within that textbook, ventilation or the concept of opening up the building. Opening up the building, that terminology uh, originated in the Fire Chief's Handbook of 1932. The concept and the term opening up was utilized and ventilation was promoted. Prior to this, uh, public opinion within the fire service, opening up the building and ventilating the building was considered uh, poor practice. But in 1932, 
opening up the structure, ventilating, coordination of ventilation, considerations for wind-driven conditions, uh, keeping fire uh, to the smallest area, confining it to the smallest area by internal access and means was the first and foremost part of that. So um, it's very important to, to recognize that. And, and, and again, coming about in the blue collar era of 1932. And so rest in the, the importance of both life safety to the civilians and life safety to the fire service. So don't, um, don't forget about that and don't undermine the importance of that. 1960, in the second edition of the Fire Chief's Handbook, uh, were some more defining aspects of pre-arrival size up, uh, some aspects of building considerations and more considerations about the fire in terms of the extent, the location, the type of construction, life safety hazards, both in terms of the occupant and the aspects of the firefighters, fire conditions, the needs and the effect of fire on the building and on the material. It's, uh, I think, uh, important to note that, again, in 1953, uh, Lloyd Lehman talked about the five critical steps of size up and really was the father of size up conversation, talking about facts, probability, our own situation, decision making, whether we go into a mode of attack, tactical decisions, and then also the plan of operations or to develop a plan of attack to mitigate the incident. So the size up as it was developing in the early 1950s, uh, much of this was attributed back to Chief Lloyd Lehman in his uh, book on um, uh, the attack uh, and extinguishment of interior fires and fire ground operations. Firefighting strategy in the 1960s, primarily from the 60s and 70s, both from uh, Charles Walsh, uh, who was FDNY, and William Clark, again, also FDNY, talking about size up and the pertinent 15 points of locating the extent of fire life hazard, time, exposure, building systems, water supply, street conditions, resources, construction, construction type, occupancy, weather, height, areas, and other misleading aspects. It's interesting to note that in Williams Clark Firefighting Principles and Practices in 1974, Clark wrote about and was highly influenced by the uh, Fire Chief's Handbook of 1932, but Clark also discussed action plans and was the first to make reference back to the Iowa formula. He was also the first to talk about reading smoke. He was the first to actually coin that, that term, reading smoke, and also how will uh, fire both spread within the building and then also talked about the aspects and the importance of having a safety officer. But in the preface of the 1974 edition, of firefighting principles and practices, Clark also makes reference back to the fact that the 14 and or 15 points of size up, as described by uh, uh, Chief Walsh in 1963, actually went back all the way to FDNY at least into 1939. And although the, the, the actual genesis of where that came about, uh, the FDNY was talking about these 15 or 14 points of size up as early as somewhere in the 1939 era of time, which went on to be part and parcel to what uh, um, John Norman uh, referred to was as Coal Was Wealth, that acronym, in 1991. So we can see that there is a genesis of all of these particular aspects. 
Um, Warren Kimball in uh, 1966, 1968, Fire Attack 1 and 2, very vintage, uh, influential books, talked about size up being uh, done by the uh, first two company, and then also size up being done by the uh, first arriving chief and chief's aide. So in 1966 and 1968, Fire Attack 1 and Fire Attack 2, and then what went on to be the next editions in 68, Fire Attack 1 and then Fire Attack 2, both the numeral 1 and the numeral 2 came about. And then also within those uh, particular textbooks, there were more defining aspects of gallon per minute flow rates based upon the occupancy square footages and volumes and so forth. So um, there was also a lot of conversations getting into that particular uh, considerations. I think that one of the defining books of developing size up as a, as a pertinent element, and again, uh, occurred in uh, 1972 with Emanuel Freed's Fireground Tactics. And again, Freed talks about these defining aspects, again, influenced by FDNY having coming out of FDNY as a fire chief, but also the influencing aspects of that 1939 era, the 1932 vintage of the Fire Chief's Handbook and so forth that leads us up forward into uh, Coal Was Wealth by uh, Chief John Norman, who again is very classical. I think this has become more of the institutionalized aspect. Many of us in the fire service, and it's interesting that again, although if you were brought up in the 90s and early 2000s, and again, you utilize the acronym of Coal Was Wealth, you pretty much understood the acronym of, of occupancies, area potentials, uh, life, uh, water uh, supply, apparatus personnel, street conditions, weather, exposure, auxiliary appliances, location, the extent of fire, time and hazards associated with it. But again, whether it be the cheat sheet that one would uh, pick and utilize off of the uh, off of the uh, apparatus dashboard or, or, or the things that we kept underneath our helmets, um, they were very much part and parcel to how we developed our size up skill set levels coming out of Brunacini's Fireground Commander series in the 1980s, mid-1980s, to what became sort of the institutionalized aspects of first to size up through John Norman's uh, uh, textbook um, and handbook for today's fire officers. So there's a variety of other aspects here that we're not going to get into based on some time limitations, but there's some different acronyms. There's some different things that are coming out of blue card uh, order model of size up of both structure size up, building size up, and so forth. But uh, and again, there's the unsighted ABCD, which deals with address, building description, conditions, deployment directive, just quick and dirty. And then there's also, and, and again, we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the slicer aspects of what have come into that uh, particular element. One of the things that we are going to talk more about in our future episodes is tying back into something that we've been utilizing for quite a number of years now, and that, that is the ODA loop. And the ODA loop as part of our tactical deployment modeling for tactical windows. And that was developed, again, by Colonel John Boyd back in the late 1950s. It has seen a, a somewhat resurrection in recent, certainly in the last year, by a few individuals who are who sort of, I think, rediscovered uh, uh, Colonel Boyd's conversations with what the ODA loop means. We talk about observe, orient, decide, and act, and how that is so mission critical. And we talk about cues, patterns, and connections, and it is a looping process. And we've tied that into our conversations on our tactical windows and something we've been talking about for well over 10 years, but it's just recent to see, again, how that has come back and percolated back up to the uh, 
to the mainstream in terms of both articles, conversations, and actually uh, seeing that into the lecture circuits and talking about how the ODA loop, the OODA, orient, observe, uh, or excuse me, uh, observe, orient, decide, and act, and how they become so critical to, again, pattern recognitions, cue indicators that are all part of our first arriving construction tactics and safety. So we're going to get into more of these conversations uh, about how they relate back into our into our size up skills of, again, reading the fire ground, reading the building, reading the compartment, and the reading the company. The four predominant primary reads on the fire ground that relate back to building, compartment, and company that relate back to, again, building anatomy, occupancy characteristics, collapse and, and compromise size up, the methods and materials of construction, fire dynamics that are all influenced by the era and vintage of that particular building of which the critical reads are inclusive of, again, roof, perimeter walls, floor and or ceilings, compartment, and the identification and absence of voids. Those are part of our conversation. So we've talked about a number of these different val uh, variables. The other thing that I will leave you as a um, sort of an assignment for nothing else, if you have not had, had the opportunity to read into or are not aware of the NFPA 1700 guide, um, I would encourage you to take a look at that online on the NFPA.org site. Also take a look at the correlations because much of what we talk about revolve around both NFPA 1710, 1720, NFPA 1500 and 1561, and now inclusive of NFPA 1700 as a guide. They have everything to do with today's modern fire ground, talking about first arrived construction tactics and safety, and those influencers that all revolve around the predictability of the building and its performance and the aspects of fire dynamics that affect both strategic considerations and tactical operations. So we will continue to uh, delve into these particular conversations, get into the uh, aspects of those. And I think, again, for what our plans are, and again, that may change, but at least uh, going forward here with our upcoming uh, conversations uh, for our other upcoming episodes, we will uh, be switching over to and talking about some things dealing with the commercial fireground. Again, both in terms of hybrid as well as other types of construction, we are going to focus in on a particular building footprint, predominantly the 30,000 square foot or less uh, footprint building. When we talk about fireground reads, but we'll talk about building construction. We will talk about occupancy risks and occupancy types. We'll talk about the reads associated with that building, and we'll talk about operational concerns along with some uh, new guest speakers that we'll bring into our program here. And those are our plans for the upcoming two to three episodes here on Buildings on Fire, Taking It to the Streets. So uh, as we wrap up on this episode, again, we've talked about a number of things, reinforced some aspects. I do encourage you to go back into the archives, take a look at uh, many of our other exceptional programs throughout many years, going back a number of years on Fire Engineering's uh, Blog Talk Radio that are archived out. Take a look at many of the other exceptional programs that are available to you on Fire Engineering's archive programs of both webinar and podcast and webcast-based programming that all dovetail together. We are all trying to connect these dots here to talk about some very critical elements here to understand the challenges of today's modern fireground, but also understand the continuing challenges of the built environment. So again, our program focuses in on 
the built environment and those related issues of which there's such a wealth we'll talking about era and vintage so a lot of different things to talk about here look forward to uh, seeing many of you in the streets with some upcoming programs coming about we're doing a street read on a regional uh training program down in florida that uh, for those of you that are listening to the program live will be coming up in a couple of weeks we do look forward to whether it be at the regional level that all built up to and help support the exceptional opportunities that are afforded to all of us at FDIC. And again, FDIC is going to be right around the corner here as we move into 2024 each and every year on an annual basis in the early part of, uh, of the year, typically in the April timeframe, we have the opportunity to convene and have some exceptional training program opportunities, both the hands-on hot programs as well as the classroom. We have the good fortune to be able to do a pre-conference program, which will be a four-hour topical program on uh, some, some critical aspects here that we continue to talk about here on our program on buildings on fire, taking the streets. So again, keep an eye out for those announcements coming uh, coming about here in the not too distant future. And we really look forward to having you sit in our classroom if you are taking advantage of, of uh, being present at FDIC. We'd love to have you in our classroom, sitting in the streets or having a conversation in the hallways outside of the classroom settings, both formal and informal. So until next time, companies are in quarters and off the air, stay safe, but keep in mind, there's a job being worked somewhere in the streets in your city, across the country and around the world, doing what we do best and being who we are. And that's firefighters. So take care everyone. Uh, and that closes out this edition of Taking to Your Streets. I'm your host, Chris Knob. Stay safe. And be again, be 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 both building and be um, fire literate. Keep on learning. Have those street side conversations. Get into your buildings. See you next time on the next edition of Buildings on Fire: Taking to the Streets. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, Resource One, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced Technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com.